are listening to Surplus Bulbs, a radio show by Ed Hicks, written and recorded in Hackney. Episode 5 To the Dogs. There was a time when I could not stop vomiting for about two days. Every time I moved, the nausea would rise up, blotting out everything else. I felt completely trapped, unable by any effort or amount of will to escape. This was after seeing Judy. She lived way over in the flats across the park, the kind of place that everyone wanted to live in the 50s, but now everyone wanted to get out of. We had met a few years ago on some decorating job. She was slight, mousy. Her hair was either bright pink or greyish blonde and she made the worst coffee ever. She wouldn't use a French press but instead just dumped the stuff directly in the cup and just added water as if it was instant. Cowboy coffee, apparently. I remember telling her, that's not the way you do it. It doesn't dissolve. It's just crushed up beans. But she said she'd always done it that way. So, with polite smiles, I used to knock it back with all the grit sticking in my teeth. Horrible, really. But that is how we met. We had only seen each other sporadically, and I felt no real connection. But there are only so many times you can refuse an invite so I got my things together and struck out in the August heat. The park was quietly baking itself dry and seemed almost deserted, save for the omnipresent forms of upwardly mobile joggers that, like minute hands on a vast clock face, quietly circled, huffing in sweat-soaked lycra. I would have cycled. I cycle most places these days. But my bicycle had been stolen about a month previously from outside of Little. It was pointless calling it into the police. Around these parts, bikes aren't exactly bought, but rented for an amount of time before they are repossessed, like cigarette lighters. I remembered my bike fondly as I walked, beyond the white lines of empty football fields and a line of trees. The flats rose up, five stories of grey brutalism. I rang the intercom, went up two flights. Before I even got in the door, I could smell the dogs. I knocked, she let me in. And it really stank. The thickness of it replaced the air. I said, Oh, wow, dogs, huh? She said, yes. She has four dogs, Alsatians. I said, four dogs? That's a lot of dogs. Ah, oh, 
out for one little flat. How do you find the space? She said, Oh, I take them out to the park most days. They love it. They're pretty much my babies. I looked around. Beige scatter cushions and gnawed chair legs. The smell was awful. And something else I couldn't quite grasp. Maybe it was the heat. I said, Well, Judy, I hate to say it, darling, but you really should wash those babies sometime. I could smell them in the corridor. I tried to make it sound like a well-meaning joke, but she looked embarrassed and started kicking at where the carpet was coming away from the floorboards, muttering something about shower heads. I immediately felt bad that I had shamed her about the dogs. I touched her arm to try and placate her, and she twitched away. Are you all right? I asked. She looked thinner than usual, and I wondered what drugs she'd got into these days, and if they'd cancelled her support money again. We sat in the hot room, and I went over the usual things. How's he doing? He's doing well. Is she still working there? Yeah, she is. Did you make it to the birthday? No, no, me neither. I told her about my bike. She said she didn't cycle, and the conversation dropped off fast. I thought about suggesting a drink, or offering to go to the shops, when, as if remembering something, she perked up all of a sudden. Do you want to meet them? Who? The dogs. Do you want to meet them? Meet them? I asked. She stared at me. Now, I've always been a cat man. It wasn't cats that gave me eight stitches on the ankle or left their big white brazen shit strewn across the alleyways on my way to school. I started to wonder why had I agreed to come over? But she was staring at me with such mad, hopeful eyes that I thought, well, we can get out of the way and then head to the pub garden and I'll make it home by, oh, about seven. Sure, I said, why not? So she led me back, back to the back of the flat, to a strange, small, unassuming door. And I could imagine them now. Big, stupid, unclean things. That dank mammalian odor of sweat and fur was all around now. Four dogs, I thought. Four of them, in here. Black gums and meaty farts. She is living in a cave of coddled carnivores. And I am being to them. She seemed nervous, slightly glowing in a fine sweat. I think they must be asleep, she mumbled to herself distractedly. There was certainly no sound coming from inside, but as we listened, I realized it was more than that. Probably a peculiarity of the architecture, but there was no sound from anywhere. 
constant bass thrum of the city was gone. But within the silence was a presence. You know when you wake up on an airplane, and at first, the ambience seems normal. You are acclimatized to it, but then slowly, half asleep, it dawns upon you that the slight fuzz of white noise is actually the deafening roar of frozen wind whipping by as, against all laws of nature, you are flying 500 miles an hour through the actual sky and this terrifying experience has been happening whilst you were sleeping. Had I been sleeping? It was only now that I realized the size of the silence that filled the flat as I walked in. It was a dense fog that pressed down. I felt that Judy must, on some level, be aware of this. She seemed intensely concentrating on the handle, as if breaking into a giant plywood safe. We stood. It took forever. Both of our breaths were held as gently and with nervous reverence. The lock unclicked, and she opened the door. We carefully tiptoed into the room. It was near complete darkness. The curtains were drawn and gave off a faint glow. Slowly, bit by bit, I began to make out the terrain. Tall cardboard boxes flanked most of the walls, stacked up high. Wood chip wallpaper, the floor covered with detritus, a tiny worn sofa up against one wall, and in the center, a large uncovered mattress upon which lay the dogs. They were huge, bigger than any Alsatian I'd ever seen. Their giant forms barely distinguishable from one another in the half-light. They were intertwined in some kind of vast wreath. They must have been asleep, as I could observe no movement, not even the rise and fall of their flanks. Once as a child, I had been made to visit a grandparent in the hospital. Whilst bored, I had wandered into the next room, where an old man had very recently passed away. I remember his plaster-cast face poking up from the covers, yet I felt no fear of the dead man. He had become an object. The room was vacant. But this was entirely different. The living presence of the dogs radiated off them in thick waves. We stood there in the doorway for 20 seconds. 30. 40. The silence held us tight. I wanted to turn to Judy and ask her something flippant, meaningless, to make a joke or something. But here, with these animals, it felt wrong, sacrilegious. 
I couldn't make sense of it. They were just pets. They ate food, ran about the park, sniffed your crotch. But still I couldn't move. Sit down. Without thinking, I went to the small sofa and took a seat. Leave us. Judy wordlessly turned and left, shutting the door behind her. I sat on the sofa. I thought, why am I not sweating? The dogs remained still. The dust moved in lazy constellations. I could not move. We remained. Then slowly, I could discern gradual movement on the bed. The great dark wreath was unwinding, sliding itself apart. First one, then two, then three, then four. Great heads came into view. Stone lions, not wolfish at all. These were heraldic beasts, more stately than monstrous, in the way that the state is vast, unknowable, and unviewable from a single perspective. You have come to ask us questions. It was only one voice, but it did not come from any of the dogs in particular. It arrived in my mind from no angle. I had become blank, and only the most irrelevant scraps of information had remained. Have I had lunch? How old was this sofa? I don't actually have any questions. They waited. I, I just came to see Judy. Judy is good to us. I can do anything with that statement, so it hung there in the denseness between us. The dogs were barely visible. So your dogs? I felt useless. This was unexpected. Yes, I said. Silence again. Where is my bicycle? Your bicycle is currently being ridden by a 13-year-old boy on Stratton Common. Wow, I thought. Stratton Common. That's near Crystal Palace. The knowledge that my bike was now in the possession of a child in South London washed over me in its complete irrelevance. What was I meant to do with this information, I thought. Can you tell me who he is? Or where he got it from? He's a 13-year-old boy. I waited. But this was all I was going to get. It seemed like I should be asking them to unravel some profound mysteries. Something about dark matter, buried treasure, about life and death and big. But at the time I couldn't think of anything. My mind swamped with the hot, stifling quiet had washed itself clean of thought. The dogs looked at me. I looked at the dogs. Time had stretched tight into a single unwavering line.
glacial silence. And I really hoped that we didn't have to stop talking about bicycles again. Now you take the sacrament. I looked round. There was no goblet or wafer. I'd never been to Catholic Mass, but I remembered something about wine made blood. I was losing track. They waited. What do I do? They didn't reply, but my eyes caught a smallish object on the floor in front of me. And for some reason, I felt I could move again. Without really thinking, I limped forward and picked it up off the carpet. It was a pet's hairbrush, jammed tight with dark fur, slightly greasy. I turned it over in my hand, and the stink of wet dog clanged off it and rose up at me. I would have gagged if I could, but the stillness was greater than the nausea which I experienced as from a great distance. Take the sacrament. I pinched off a clump of hair. There was so much of it that only the tips of the bristles poked through. It felt like buttered pocket lint. The dogs were so huge. I was stood at the bottom of the holy mountain with the wind all around me. I was kneeling before that altar, my arms wrapped in gold and silk. I was a tiny man-shaped lump of clay they held in their hands, breathing spirit and light. Now. I put the horrible lump in my mouth. I thought just to gulp it down, get the hell out. But it tasted amazing. It was beyond amazing. In the years that followed, I would again and again try to remember the taste of the hair. But all that I was left with was the emotion, awe, pure, unreserved, awe. In the presence of these great beasts, I had tasted something close to divinity. I went in again and again. I was weeping. More and more matted clumps of the bedraggled hair I ate. It was lank and full of fluff and dust, but the taste. Do not take too much. Was there such a thing as too much? I looked up, still shoveling it into my face, but I couldn't stop. Through the tears and spit, I stammered, I can't, I can't, I can't. Does Judy know about this? It's amazing. Judy is good to us, but she does not ask the questions. She does not take the sacrament. We are Alsatian dogs. They droned on and on. I tried to listen, but I was utterly lost in the eating. The collective voice was like the ringing of some great bell. It rang out across the centuries, across the galaxies. Something about duty, something about strength. But the words thundered past, unnoticed. I had to eat the hair, there was nothing else. I had to eat the hair until, until it was gone. 
there was nothing else. There was nothing else. I was sat on a bench. The sun was baking. As I screwed up my face, I could tell I had some serious sunburn. Christ knows how long I'd been sat there. My lips were greasy. My fingers were greasy as well. And there was dog hair all down the front of my polo shirt. So I went home. And within two hours, I started vomiting. This uh, didn't stop for two days, and then I went out, and I got a new bike. Compelling, isn't it? Quite, um, kind of sad. There's a fragility to it, I think. Yeah, there's a kind of longing, you know, deep longing to it. Do you like it? Do you think it's good? Do you, whilst listening to this, think, well, oh, this is good? Or do you find it annoying or jarring? When you listen to it, do you think, well, I find this quite annoying. Also quite jarring. <clears throat> it is the sound of a dog playing piano. I unsurprisingly found it on YouTube when I put in dog playing piano into the search bar the top, as I am wont to do, uh, on those lonely nights in my room. Let's have a listen to a bit more, shall we? There's another one, I've, I've, I've got another one here actually. Yeah, not bad. And there's, uh, and there's one more. Well, there's, there's loads actually, but anyway, these are, uh, these are the three that I was going to play you. It is unclear if the dog knows what it is doing. Obviously, it's had no formal training. The likelihood being that it just learnt that the big shape makes noises when you bash the white and black bits. The art of animals has been a phenomenon observed for a fair amount of time. The most memorable proponents of which are probably like gorillas that have learned somehow to make paintings. Like many of which you can easily buy online uh, for about 100 quid or something. Yeah, tell them I sent you, you'll get a discount. There is quite clearly a market. But is it the same when it comes to animal music? 
You can definitely buy Whale Song when you want to meditate in your 1980s beach house in Malibu. But I wonder how many people, aside from myself and now you, obviously, are regularly listening to Dog Pianists. It's theoretically possible that somewhere there are folks that meet up to just rock out to this stuff. They might even be breeding dogs especially for this purpose. Long, tall, massively articulated front forepaws, strangely human frequencies in their yowlings. These avid fans no doubt all have their favourite performers and discuss the finer points of a certain concert or technique of the dog over beefy milkshakes and rusks before settling down to their personalised baskets to listen to their own little canine Rachmaninoff clonking away in the corner as they howl along. Yet people on the whole tend to veer towards more tonal and less dissonant harmonic structures and traditional time signatures. Early 20th century music saw the first Western forays into intentionally irregular harmonic structures. It took until the 1950s for hard bop in jazz to morph into free jazz under the guidance of John Coltrane, uh, Ornette Coleman. Free improvising within the structure of jazz spawned actually my favourite description of anything ever, where someone described jazz in the 60s as being like a boat leaving the shore, with no one waving from the boat or the shore. That blank-faced voyage into willful obscurity has always impressed me as particularly noble. So, at 18, metal and hardcore wasn't brutal enough for me, so I regularly used to listen to Japanese noise artist Merzbau's excellent Pulse Demon album, which sounds a bit like this. I used to put it on my headphones and uh, walk around Woolworths. There's a strange joy knowing that no one around you has any idea of the audio hellscape that you're immolating your frontal lobes with as you sway at the pick and mix, sweating. So anyway, uh, a couple of years ago, I was leaving my Stoke Newington guardianship and it was mid-July and gorgeous outside and I just left the house when I heard this sound. It was coming from a bunch of council-employed builders who were fixing up the road next to my house. Here is what the sound sounded like. Yeah, right. Brilliant. I was blown away. Now, as you all immediately know, this is the opening refrain from the seminal 1968 free jazz album Machine Gun by the German saxophonist Peter Brotzmann with his double octet, a searingly relentless record that I personally don't think was really topped in terms of like raw power until John Zorn, uh, together with Dave Lombardo from Slayer, did that Spy versus Spy sessions. Um, you know, it was on IPCAC records. Anyway, uh, I'm sure you know it well. I mean, you may have other choice examples. It's fair enough. <clears throat> so I'm hearing this sound coming from the builders. I cannot believe it. Let's just, uh, actually, let's, let's, just, let's just play. Uh, let's just play something. Oh, this is it's great. Yeah. So, okay, so I don't know who these men are, but if they're down with that shit, I mean, just imagine. 
This strange little enclave of mixed background Eastern European day laborers who have en masse refined their jazz palette, it's a real term, to such a degree that they openly bang out this heroically difficult music, full volume in the street. Now, I, I obviously need to know these men. We are, we are as brothers. Are oh, the conversations, do you imagine the, just the, the in-jokes that we could tell? I could tell them all about my favorite description of everything, anything ever, you know, before with the, with the boats and the thing, and they'd all laugh way more than you probably did. Well, anyway, they'd love my jazz anecdotes. It'd be perfect. Just perfect. These are my people. So, with arms outstretched, I went down to meet my new friends. Um, the sound, the sound that I thought was the, was the Peter Brotsman double octet stuff was uh, actually coming from a wheelbarrow. Um, the axle had got twisted up and this big shovel-faced man was pushing it around and it stuttered and squeaked out this uh, noise um, that I thought was jazz. Uh, and I was, uh, I was heartbroken, actually. They were not my brothers, after all. But moreover, I realised that I actually owned CDs that sound like a fucked wheelbarrow. So I just uh, I'd, I went back inside and opened a beer. The day was obviously a write-off. Put on some country and western music and ordered more drugs. So, um, so I had a happy end. Happy enough. You have been listening to Surplus Bulbs. Written and produced by Ad Hicks. With music by Ad Hicks. With additional music production by Bartek Ashman Zadura. If you wish to support this show, follow the links in the text to our Big Cartel shop, where you can find scenes, prints, original art, and various paraphernalia. Good night. <laughs>